He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And the risen and reigning Lord Jesus eats fish. I don't know about you, but this story has always struck me as just a little bit strange and seemingly superfluous. Say that one five times fast. Does this really need to, to be in here? We hear about Jesus' meal. I mean, isn't there more spiritual things that he needs to get to? But in fact, there are some profound implications to this passage. Uh, to start with, most profoundly of all, Jesus truly is risen. We see that by him demonstrating it with this eating of the fish. The disciples still are not believing this. I love that phrase. They disbelieved for joy. It was too good to be true. And so Jesus establishes, yes, it is truly him. He's truly risen in his physical glorified body. See, he is not just some phantom. He's not a, a hologram like Princess Leia in Star Wars, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi, your only help. No, Jesus is really there in his physical resurrected flesh. But there's even more that we could say. See, I don't know about you, but for, for me, when I try to think about heaven, when I try to think about heaven, that can be a hard thing to wrap my mind around, to wrap my arms around, because it all feels just a little bit too floaty, doesn't it? A little bit too abstract. How do you get a hold of a cloud? You can't. But when you talk about the resurrection, the resurrection of the body, now that's something that you can literally get your hands around. Jesus invites the disciples to do exactly that. Resurrection is physical and therefore concrete. We can imagine it and think through it even more. And when we come to this text, this story today, this is not superfluous at all because here with this picture, this image, this glimpse of Jesus in his resurrected body, we get an idea and a picture of what our future will look like. In other words, by looking at Jesus' present, we're better able to understand what our future will be like. And I take that from what we heard from John a minute ago in the epistle lesson. John says that what we will be, we do not yet know, but when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When he comes again, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like unto his glorious body. You and I are going to be like Jesus, see. And so by pondering his present state and his resurrected body, you and I are able to get a glimpse of what we will be in the future. And it turns out that it is even more exciting and, I dare say, interesting than maybe we've even been led to believe. So there's a lot to get to here. I want to start with this. Jesus walks through walls. Now, here we see how the resurrected body of Jesus is new. It is drastically different from anything that we otherwise have understood or experienced in this lifetime. And Luke kind of alludes to it. John makes it even more explicit where he says, look, the doors were locked. The walls were solid. Okay, this wasn't some kind of like, you know, a big fence or something. And Jesus is squeezing through the fence to get in there. No, in his resurrected frame, he is able to go through walls. How is he able to do this? Well, there's some conjecture. There's a, a theologian and physicist by the name of Hugh Ross. And he says that here, what we see Jesus doing here, going through the walls, that this is validating string theory. 
Any of you know what string theory is? Okay, this is like way over my head. I have no business talking about this, but even still, Hugh Ross says, according to string theory, there's not three or four dimensions, space, time, okay, whatever, um, but that there are 10 dimensions. And so Jesus in his resurrected body has access to all 10 dimensions. He can just kind of like flip the wall around like in Scooby-Doo, you know how the walls would sometimes turn around? He can just do that in real time. It's a cool thought. I cannot validate that from the scripture here exactly about string theory, and we can talk about that another time. What we can say, what we can say with confidence from the scriptures is that Jesus in his resurrected body now is in a glorified state, see? And that now his flesh is indestructible, incorruptible. And yes, capable of things that now in our finite mortal status, we're not able to understand or experience or avail ourselves of. So when we see Jesus doing this drastically different thing, we see the newness of the resurrection, see? It's not just going to be business as usual. There is an utter transformation and glorification that takes place. And when I try to, to imagine what that might be like, I turn, as I so often do, to C.S. Lewis. And maybe some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's little book, The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, he tries to imagine what this is like, what heaven is like, what the resurrection is like. And there's a, a character in it who kind of gets on this bus and goes on a trip to do a field trip to see what it's like. It's kind of weird, but what you'd expect. Uh, but when he gets there, he finds that in the resurrection that the, the grass is sharp, like it, it hurts him to the touch, and that he can't even pluck a flower. It feels like this heavy boulder to pull it. In short, he finds that in the resurrection things are not less physical, but more so. That they are more potent, more powerful, more, more weighty than they are in this life. It's somewhat recognizable, and yet it is drastically different, totally new and transformed. So the first thing that I want us to, to recognize and to take away from this story and this account of Jesus here, that what you and I are looking forward to in the resurrection of the body is something that is going to be drastically different, utterly new, unlike anything that we have ever known before. And yet, at the same time, it's not only drastically different, it's also strikingly similar. This is the second thing to see with Jesus' resurrected body here. It's not only utterly new, but it's also seemingly kind of old, continuous with the way that creation always was. And this brings us back to the fish, right? Because here we see Jesus is trying to demonstrate to the disciples, look, it's me, really, touch me, see, you can see, it's me. In my flesh, my resurrected, glorified flesh, even if you don't fully recognize me. And they're still like, ah, I'm not so sure about this. I think he might be a ghost, see. The disciples, they are not fools. They're like, uh, we've never seen a resurrection before. Ghosts we've heard about. That seems more likely at this point. And so Jesus, in my opinion, almost showing some sense of humor here. We often don't capture this on the pages of Scripture, but the Lord has this sense of humor where he's like, okay, guys. You got anything to eat, right? Let's see if I can demonstrate this for you. Yeah, we've got some broiled fish right here, right, Charlie? They've, got, they've already filleted the fish. They got it ready. Here, it's going to be, here you go, Jesus. We don't have any chips, sorry. Uh, and it says Jesus eats it right before them. Why is that? Because he's hungry, perhaps. 
But because, as everybody knows, if a ghost eats, up, eats something, where's it going to fall to? Right on the floor, right? It's going to fall on the ground. Thank you, Sam. That's right. Jesus is not a ghost. He's not glorified Casper, okay? He is in his resurrected physical frame. And this isn't just an interesting, strange account, but truly, this has fascinating ramifications for us when we think about our future hopes, see? It's not just this cloudy, abstract thing, but it is resolutely physical. What happens in the resurrection is it is God's affirmation of the goodness of creation. See, I like the sound of that. I'm going to say it again. It's God's affirmation of the goodness of creation. The Lord who said in the beginning, it is good, it is good, it is very good, even while it became very bad through the entrance of sin and death into the world. Now, through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, through his physical coming back to life again, now it's God saying, ah, see, it is very good again. Or we might even say, oh, it's great. <laughs> this is what we're looking forward to in the resurrection. And I've talked about this before, but I know sometimes when people think about heaven, because it does just seem so abstract, they, are, they feel a little bit anxious to admit, you know what, I'm not exactly looking forward to that. <laughs> because there's so much that is good about this world and about life in this world that you don't want to see go away. But look, everything that is delightful and delectable about this creation is going to endure into the resurrection. Yes, it is going to be utterly new, but it's also going to, to be in continuity with God's world as he originally made it. It's going to be exciting and enlivening, meeting and exceeding all of our expectations, even as it is still recognizable. It's kind of like this. Last week, the family and I were down in St. Louis, as many of you know, and we went to this place called the City Museum, the City Museum. And my expectations for it were, okay, you know, I'd heard people talk about, oh, this is gonna be interesting, maybe it'll be a little bit different, but a museum, I'm sorry to say, how cool can it really be? right? But we go into this place, and it was unlike any museum I had ever been in before. It was basically a 10-story play place. And it had continuity with things that I had experienced before, like there were slides, for instance, and yet the slide, the, the, slide, the, the magnum opus slide, was 10 stories high, okay? Like, I've seen slides, I have not seen that before. There was so much about it that was familiar with other cool places I had been before, and yet far exceeded anything I could ever imagine. And as I often have to say, this sermon is not brought to you by the City Museum. If you're in St. Louis, you should check it out. But so it will be with the resurrection, see, that what we are looking forward to has this continuity with the good creation that we've already known, even as it will far exceed anything that we could ever imagine. So we have this newness to the resurrection, but also an oldness. It's both of it brought together. It's drastically different and yet also strikingly similar. But then that brings me to the, the third point that I want to draw out from this story. That while it is both new and old, ultimately it is renewed, utterly transformed from the way that we have experienced it in this world, see. And where I look to that is Jesus pointing himself out to the disciples. And before he eats the fish, he says to them, and John accounts for this as well, 
He says, look, see my, my hands and my feet. Look at my side. What's he pointing out? Not just that he has physical hands and feet. Where's he pointing to? His wounds, see? His wounds. His scars, those dear tokens of his passion. Now think about this. The resurrected Jesus in his glorified, exalted body still bears the wounds from the cross. Now what does that have to say to us? St. Augustine, the great St. Augustine in the fourth century wrote this. He arose with his wounds healed, his scars kept. For this he judged beneficial for his disciples, that his scars should be kept, whereby the wounds of their hearts might be healed. Whereby the wounds of their hearts might be healed. What this says to us is that in the resurrection, all the sorrow and suffering of this life and this world is not merely forgotten and swept aside. God doesn't just, while we're about to show up in the resurrection, shoving it all under the bed and saying, oh, let's forget about all of that. But instead, God in his goodness and mercy has gathered up all of that sorrow, all of that sighing, and instead redeemed it. So that all the things that weigh down our hearts right now won't be for nothing. They're not lost on him, see. They're not lost on him. And look, this also brings me to another point with this. Because I'm acutely aware that for some of you, perhaps, when you hear this talk about the resurrection of the body and, hey, you're still going to be you in the resurrection, glorified, resurrected, yes, but it's going to be you. For some of you, you don't necessarily hear that as good news. You're like, oh, kind of hoping I could trade up, right? Because for whatever reason, you're unhappy with the body that you've been given. You think about the struggles that you've had. For others, it goes deeper than that. Maybe you have a, a profound discomfort in your skin. For others of you, you've suffered abuse in that body. And the thought of carrying that through to the age to come does not bring you joy, but it brings you pain. Hear me and hear me good. Jesus, in his resurrection, still has those scars. He does not forget the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that we endure in this life and indeed the discomfort that we have in our bodies, that these, this old frame, when it comes again, when Christ Jesus raises you from the dead, he also reconciles your relationship to your body, that finally we are going to be able to experience this life and this, this physical body that he's given to us as he originally intended it to be. Understand that the, the things that we feel and that we experience in this body, that that too is part of the weight and the burden of sin, but it's not always going to be there. That even as we struggle, even as we fail, even as we fall and wonder, Lord, who will deliver me from this body of death, wretched man that I am? The promise that you and I have, thanks be to God, that Christ Jesus in his body has destroyed death, has erased sin, and at the last will make those scars glorious. See, 
That's the hope that we have. And so we see, and so we see that our hope is not just some, what would you say, some flighty fuzziness, but it's fervent physicality, see. It's not just some, you know, freeze-dried astronaut food. It's a 14-course feast. And already, you and I get a foretaste of that feast to come in the Holy Supper of our Lord's very body and blood. Still, he comes and dwells among us in a way that is drastically different and yet also strikingly similar to the meals that we already have. Jesus comes and dwells with us in, with, and under that bread and wine to give us an anticipation already. This is the appetizer of the full feast to come, to, to keep our appetite going, to continue to whet it for what is yet to come, that in the full resurrection that we will sit and enjoy that feast with our risen, resurrected, glorified Lord and, and Savior Jesus, that he is going to pull out the seat for you and say, here, child, all is prepared. And make no mistake that when we see our Lord there, that we will still see him with those dazzling, glorious scars. As we sang a moment ago, crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side, rich wounds, yet visible above, in beauty glorified. In beauty glorified. That's what we are awaiting. That's what we are anticipating, that it is going to be on that day, the resurrection of the flesh and the glorification of all things. That as we confess in the creed, we're looking forward to the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come when he will raise these old and ancient frames and instead make us new, transform us to be as he originally intended it to be. And not only you and me, but the full physical creation. He will shake the dust of sin out of this world and make it as he originally intended it to be and even more so, far exceeding all we could ever ask for or imagine. Friends, on that day when Lord Jesus comes again, and it could be today, on that day, the promise is not that there will be no tears, but that he himself will wipe away every tear. Not that there will be no scars, but yet your scars will be glorious. Not that there will be no flesh, but that your flesh shall be dazzlingly glorified, and that Finally, we will see our Lord face to face in beauty, glorified. That is your hope. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. We stand to confess that faith in our risen Lord.